Hello, hello, friends. This is Richard, founder of STRU Podcast, coming at you live from Los Angeles. This is the podcast where we inspire you to take chances and achieve everything you can using short-term rentals as a tool for your success. Welcome to the STRU Podcast, your number one online hosting community, helping you achieve your goals through short-term rental investing. Now, here's your host, Richard Furtick. All right, friends. Welcome back to the second episode of the Short-Term Rental University Podcast. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce the world to my good friend, my fraternity brother, a fellow lion by the name of Joshua Schaub. Josh, say hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you, Richard. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words. Well, I think you could describe me in, with three concepts. One, I've been a, since uh, I started working, I've worked in the web space, so the digital space. But early, dude. Early. Like before so, it was a space. Yeah, started in around 1994. Yeah. So I've been a digital first person my entire career. Uh, second, I've been a real estate owner, um, partially due to my career choice <laughs> in the digital space. Uh, so I've had real estate for almost my entire you know, adult life. And third is that I've been committed well, for this entire time to live a work life that is untethered to any physical location. And after about 25 years of work on this setup, I have to declare that it works beautifully. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of the people that are either interested in doing that or on the journey to do that or aspire to do that. Um, and I think it's really cool that you've actually started to do what we're going to call like on safari yourself. You and I got together back, I think it was in March at your house here in Los Angeles. Indeed. Uh, we were talking a little bit about what's going on with one another. Josh and I graduated Cornell in 1991. We're members of the Delta Chi fraternity. We've had tons of good times, probably some that we can talk about, some that we can't talk about, and some that are forgotten. And nonetheless, <laughs> um, a good friend, a good bloke, and just a good old, you know, time friend. We got together back in March. We were catching up. We were talking about some life changes that are happening uh, simultaneously to both of us on separate coasts with different um, set of circumstances, but remarkably similar. And uh, we just started talking about what I'm up to in real estate and Airbnb, and we were catching up. And um, Josh, in your own words, where did that, you know, lead you to or what, what reawoke perhaps? Well, of course, the idea of... <coughs> of using your home um, when you're not using it was appealing to me. And also with some life changes that had come, that were unexpected but came around, I found myself in a pretty desirable position where I not only had a career which didn't uh, keep me in a physical space, but I also had a home that uh, from you know, my own experience living here and having guests, you know, quite often and my kids and my family, everyone, everyone kind of has always loved my home. Yeah, it's lovely. And I realize I too love my home, but I get to be in my home all the time. <laughs> so I think after our conversation, I started kicking around seriously the idea of, hey, maybe I should see what would happen if I were to put my home up on Airbnb and, you know, what that's all about. I will say that in most things, I am a I'm an experience first type person. I like to see what happens and then you know make decisions after that. Um, and the first thing I was really interested in is 
you know, would this place actually rent? Right. And that's actually a great starting point for a lot of people because that seems to be the biggest barrier to entry. It's like fear-based and I don't know that anyone wants to stay in my neighborhood or in Charles' case, walk up four flights of stairs or I don't know if it'll be enough money. Does it justify? Everyone always starts with these insecurities and these fear-based sort of things and what I've maintained all along and I continue to say this, one day it'll change but I think that day is like 10 years forward. There's more demand than there is supply and I have yet to see a place that Airbnb hasn't worked for. So you started with those insecurities, and what was the reality? Well, it was really kind of interesting because I think when you before you start, you're consumed by what will my place get per night? And I think that comes from just having owned real estate, is that it's always on your mind because you a lot of times you feel like, wow, how great I am at buying something when in fact you are you have the gift of timing right and but you're consumed by that like wow i would love to get this amount for my place and so you go into it and saying all right this is going to be the number and you're setting a a a barrier for yourself where you may actually be disappointed so that was on my mind what's my place going to get and then kind of visualizing what that would turn into and then i started to get a little bit more practical and said okay I know I own this place and I know that it's my family home, but I don't quite know what the first step would be if I wanted to do this. Um, and at which time what I did is I found an old email that had come in from Airbnb and I finally opened it and it said, uh, it described a new service they had featuring co-hosts. And the concept made sense to me which was let's bring someone else in. Let's let them use what they know to get your place ready to go and just follow someone else's recommendation for how to get onto this platform and then see if you can get into it. Absolutely. And I think, um, Back in March when we sat down and talked about it, I shared with you a little bit about the YouTube channel and ways that you could do it yourself. And while it's helping tons of people and there's obviously more profit to be made, it's not for everyone. And there's plenty of opportunity for those that are looking to grow their own Airbnb empire or raise money or save for their first place or their second place to be in and around the fabric and getting their hosting skills up with somebody else's property. So I think that's a great approach where you were like, well, it's a great idea. And I love, you know, we were talking about the trip that I was taking. I went to 55 days. I was overseas, which Amazing. is just unbelievable. And I had the best time. And you and I have talked about that. But um, it got you thinking about where you might go. And we started talking about, well, since we both have shared custody, which means we're 50% on and 50% off, like you could have an I idea of like taking a week at a time off. But ultimately, you didn't want to do the work yourself, right? Like, Maybe that was either... Yeah, I wouldn't say I... It was more of I didn't know what the work was. Got it. So what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to have expectations for what my price point would be and then fumble on the execution. And so it just made more sense to talk to some of these people that had offered their services as a co-host. And so... I got a bunch of proposals back within 24 hours. So let's talk about that. What what did they require from you? Did you have to send photos or description or anything? All you had to do was fill out a couple of sentences on what your offer is uh, and your location. So I live in Bel Air and I knew I had a great location and I wanted to see 
again, I just wanted to see what would come back. And the responses were all over the map. So there were some people that, that looked like they had a portfolio of very, very high-end places that were you know, kind of stodgy. There were people that lived in the neighborhood that wanted to, to help out with my listing because they had listings nearby. Um, and ultimately, there were, there were the description of the person and, and their experience as well as an estimate of what they would charge for their services. Um, I settled on a woman named Kristen who I invited over and she was a host in another city. She had just moved to Los Angeles from New York. And when she described her experience as a super host, she sounded like a perfect fit. Uh, someone that had like perhaps the, the instincts to be a host and in another era may actually have a and b of their own or work in a hotel right. or go to the fine Cornell Hotel School <laughs> um, and just have these instincts to, to make the house ready for other guests. Um, and I liked her style. Uh, I liked how she described it. And we said, let's just go for it. So let's talk about what that means. So what exactly does she do and what do you do? Meaning... Um, there's all sorts of communication and inquiries and calendar and pricing. And then there's yep. the actual preparation of the home. Like where does she start and end and where do you start and end? So that's, that's to be determined in each of these relationships. So the one that she and I have is she handles the front end communication. Uh, however, we have the back channel going on. Um, so for example, we had some people putting a request in and they had, it was a couple, but they had dogs. So I said, well, Kristen, find out if they are shedding dogs. Right. Right. And then she's on the front lines. And uh, that has worked for us because I like to ask a lot of questions. And I also like someone else who can deflect and say, let me find out from the owner. Right. Without having to give a, a, a answer right back. I, th I feel like that's worked for us. Uh, it's allowed us to kind of f feel people out since this is a family home. I have a different comfort zone with different people. So I will be comfortable with two families with small kids, but I won't be comfortable with seven adults. And see, this is the beautiful thing about Airbnb and co-hosting and all of that is that it's completely independent of what other people are comfortable with, right? Like yeah. as long as you yourself are comfortable with it, you can turn the calendar on when you're comfortable. You can turn the calendar off. You can host, not host. You can say yes. You can say no. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful, right? Oh, it's fantastic. It, there's so much flexibility. And since there's so much flexibility, it takes a while to understand how to use the machine. <laughs> so back to what you said about pricing. So I started letting her have the pricing. And uh, since it's in my nature, I, I started going in and, and making some edits to the pricing myself and seeing what would happen if I start, started to charge more on a Friday and a Saturday versus a Thursday, seeing if there were any differences in, in the responses I was getting and just getting a feel for how it all worked. And what's great about a lot of these online platforms is they're actually fun. So oh, yeah, it's, cool. it's super fun to go in there and, uh, you know, set your pricing and see what happens. And do you use dynamic pricing now? Uh, I started to, cause yeah. I wanted to see what that was all about. Cool. Well, I recommend it. And, um, we recommend using dia uh, dynamic pricing by a service called beyond pricing, which I think okay. has, a done remarkably well for me and tons of our viewers on YouTube, but we can talk about that a little bit later. But anybody who's listening to this, if you're not using dynamic pricing, your competition is, and they're making more money than you. 
Basically. Basically. <laughs> so anyway, so what does she do once the, the calendar's management has happened and she's sure. selected like the people that meet your criteria? Sure. So in the beginning, she was meeting the people here, letting them into the house. Before that, she would. what we do is we do the, the turnover of the house. So the night before the listing, I'll either have the cleaning you know, person that day or in the following morning before check-in. Uh, what we'll do is she'll set all of the beds, so change all the linens, put mattress covers on the beds, change all the pillows, uh, do a sweep through all the rooms to depersonalize and get the house ready to go. And there's just you know a couple of like little things that we'll put out that make it feel like more of a welcoming place, put a note on the chalkboard wall, et cetera, et cetera. And so you have some system where she says, in this, like in this kid's bedroom, I take these four photos and this toy and this and that, I put it in a box and I put it in the garage or I put it in the yeah. closet or something. Yeah, so I've got basically tubs mm -hmm. with the the existing stuff and then the replacement stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, so everything is kind of in a tub and the tub. And was that her idea? She's like, this is the way I do it? Uh, that was kind of my approach to it. And because what I wanted her to do is I wanted to, I wanted her to find everything we needed set the house the first time and then it was more up to me to break it down so it's it's it makes more sense to set up the next time i didn't want the relationship to be her having to come back to the house too many times because she doesn't live in the neighborhood and or fumbling like forgetting about that one thing right yeah and it's more like you know you can imagine the very first time everything looked like incredible right and then next time it looked great not as like Perfect, perfect, perfect deluxe, but it didn't matter. Right. Right. Of course, the towels had been used by then. Right. right. But you know what? Um, what Josh is basically describing here, we've covered this in, in a video on how to scale, is putting in place systems and processes, right? Like thinking about what needs to be done, yeah. setting it up once, and then making it so it's sustainable and repeatable. So now she comes back the next week, the next month, the next year, and she knows exactly where to find everything, knows what to put out, what yeah. to put back in there, and like... Just keep doing it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, one thing that I really like after we kind of decluttered the house is I've kept it actually very decluttered. So a lot of it got a lot of the junk out of the house. <laughs> that's good. And I've just kept that stuff. I have a extra closet that's full of like little knickknacks and things that are just they did not make it back out. And I love that. <laughs> the minimalist movement is alive. Okay. So she does all of that and then you go somewhere and we'll talk about where you go uh, shortly but i just want to stick with this so if there's any inquiries while the people are here hey the gas grill doesn't work or right the, to her right to her yeah so she she's on the front line she's the field officer for this one so any inquiry any any correspondence with the customer goes to her and have you given her have you armed her with like your list of handyman plumber whatever or does she then come to you if there's a or has, maybe there hasn't even yeah been we haven't issue. we haven't had that issue yet it's more of how do i do this right um but I, i'm finding that in my particular home the people that are renting it are in los angeles to do something in los angeles they're not non-vacation in my home right so uh, as part of the setup, I have exterior cameras at the front and the back, just so with I have a, the the outdoor nest. So if there's an emergency, I can actually speak to someone uh, and and help them figure whatever it is they need to figure out. But just tra tracking the traffic patterns, you can see people generally leave pretty early, and they come back pretty late. So yeah, I think that that's true, and I think that that's sort of surprising to most is that. People worry about the wear and tear on like their home. Oh, well, you have so many people there. And, and the reality of it is in almost all of my homes, and Charles said the same thing, and you're saying it now, people are just 
basically like sleeping in your place. So Correct. in Colorado, they're out skiing or they're out hiking or they're doing whatever. In Los Angeles, they're either at work or at play or they're at the beach or something, but they're not like just hanging around in your living room like you might on a Saturday. Correct. Which makes sense because every place I've rented, I've done the same thing. Exactly. You want to be in the neighborhood exploring it. Right. Cool. Okay. So she handles any of the communication during the stay. What about uh, after they leave and before you return? So afterwards, um, I generally, in the beginning, she was coming and then breaking down. Um, And I've I've simplified that step because I knew that based on the financial relationship, I wanted her to stay excited and motivated. I didn't want her to have to come back a second time if it was unnecessary, if it was just you know stripping the beds, which is something that my cleaning lady could do. Um, so I told her that I would take care of the breakdown, and she was thrilled. Cool. Yeah. And um, you know, one thing that you just mentioned is the same sort of thing. I'm just highlighting the same concepts, even though you and I haven't spoken about it, but I think you're an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, and I think we sort of understand some of these things that people that aren't thinking that way um, should focus on. So what Josh basically said was he has somebody that he's got a working relationship with. He values the relationship. So he wants to ensure that she has as good a feeling about the working relationship and that she comes back so that Josh can depend on her and continue to use her. Correct. Right. So like most people, I think, think about negotiations or relationships like that. Like I want to pay as little as possible. And ultimately that fails, right? Like finding good people and then retaining them is the key to success. Yeah, I think that's I think it's really important to keep to not focus on the short term economics, but to focus on the long game. Right. And to me, in fact, in the beginning, um, after the first rental, I gave her an extra hundred dollars. I just nice. gave her a hundred dollar bill. I said, Thank Great. you. That was awesome. Um, this week upcoming, it's Thanksgiving week and I had three different rental opportunities and I decided due to my travel schedule, having just come back from Tokyo and heading to New York five days later, I just wanted to come back into my place and not have to go to, you know, find a place to stay for two more nights. So I passed on all those opportunities and what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually compensate her even though we didn't have a rental smart because I want her to feel that this is, this is a, a good part of her, the way that she makes ends meet. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and I was saying at a meetup last night that we had with uh, other hosts in the Los Angeles area that in doing stuff like that, we just had a natural disaster, hurricane Nate in uh, Alabama and all of the homes that were on the water, including mine, we lost the, boathouses, the, the piers, wow. everything was a total disaster, trees down. And when you treat people the way that you're talking about, my cleaning staff had a choice in the morning, the morning after the disaster to get in their car, start their car and drive somewhere. Right. And they went to my place, not because I asked them, not because I insisted, not because I did anything, but out of all the homes and properties that they maintained, they elected to get in their car and go take care of my place first. So by like 11 in the morning, I had photos and knowledge of exactly what was going on. And that's worth so much, right? I mean, like, Incredible. yeah, that's, that's why you want to take good care of your uh, team and your employees and everything else. It's all about taking good care of your relationships so that they take care of you. Well, think about it this way. This is, this is how I've been looking at it. It's that, you know, 
it takes a while to kind of end up in the place that you're going to raise your family in and you're going to be in for a long time. <clears throat> and for me, it's like, all right, I love this house. This is where I ended up. And I plan on, on owning this house and being this house for a really long time going forward. There are plenty of, if I know that this approach works, um, and I've, I've always had this vision for this house of kind of like a, how fun would it be to create like a net zero house? Not exactly. only in terms of energy, but in terms of cost. Yeah. So when I think of like, what is the, my cost of operating this house? It's actually not really that much. And I've, through my tests, I'm already, I already have the proof that this can be essentially a net zero house. Like this house can cost me nothing forever. So what's the point in being greedy? That's amazing. Right? That's an so, amazing concept, right? So why, it doesn't matter in the short term because before I rented it for the first time, I didn't even know if this was a, a viable concept. Now that now I'm certain of it because I know the market for you know, pricing will just keep going up and up and up. But, and this, this is what happens a lot of times when people play the short game, the, the opportunity and the concept exists, but the execution gets fumbled and you get stopped out. You quit because you, it, you've hired someone that didn't work out, worked out for two days or two weeks or two rentals. Then you had to hire someone else and that one didn't work out. And before you know it, you get stopped out. Correct. Versus if you have the, if you think about the person that you're working with, they're trying to put together their long game. And what I've found having been in those shoes before is you you want to you want to go from the short game to the long game by removing churn. Exactly. And the way to remove churn is to get projects that last years instead of months. And for my co-host if it turns out that this house will make her a couple hundred dollars a month, you know, annualized over the course of a year, you know, maybe that is enough to get her to pick up another property and put something together. And, and all of a sudden she's got the subsidy that she needs in her life because the beauty of this is that it's not, no one's quit, you know, she doesn't have to quit her day job to be my co-host. Not at all. And not only that, she's building her reputation in the community so that if she goes out and buys a property or a second property or a third, she now has hundreds of reviews as a co-host to give her credibility in terms of the hospitality and the communication and all of those things that a potential guest is looking for. So she's like building her reputation on your equity. Yeah. And, and that's fantastic. And, and for what I pay her, I think it's a remarkable deal. That's fantastic. Right. So how many times have you done it? I think we have about six rentals down, each of which was about four days. And four where days. did you go? Now let's turn to like the lifestyle. Since you started this conversation saying yeah. that you're an experience-based guy, when you gave up this beautiful home here in Bel Air, where did you elect to go? Well, this is, this is interesting. So with the net zero approach to living... Um, I said, okay, I don't need to look at this as a way to pay for my apartment. I'm not looking at this as a way to necessarily get, a, get ahead. I'm looking for this as an opportunity to do something which I call going on safari. Nice. And so over the summer, I spent 
all of the rental weeks when I was testing this concept on Safari. So the first time I rented the house, the next morning I booked a ticket to Tulum. And I went with my girlfriend and we went down to Tulum for five days. And for the equivalent of what I was renting my house for, all of a sudden I was staying in an oceanfront little cabana with its own pool um, in Tulum. And I was going out and I was drinking mezcal cocktails and I was feasting on octopus. And it was just, I was like, this is insane. I just had like one of the greatest days of all time and it was free. That's amazing. And I think I had five days of rental to burn. So by the fourth and fifth day, I started to actually run out of things to do. It's like, hey, let's go look at the ruins. Let's go get bicycles. It's like we have all this money to burn because it really, you know, is a challenge to like, I wanted to enjoy myself to the level that the people were enjoying my home. Nice. So this became the theme for the summer and, and through today where every time there's a rental, you have to go somewhere. Um, so went to New York City, went to Boston, went to Park City. Um, had a epiphany that as much as I like to go on vacation and fly somewhere, why wouldn't I just want to go on safari in my own city? And so I rented a little cottage in Silver Lake. How cool. Which was really cool. And you would think that it might be hard to spend the equivalent of your rental budget in Silver Lake, but the thing is I would go and I would get coffee in Silver Lake and that was a surefire way to burn through my entire budget very quickly. <laughs> well, now explain that. Why? Very high-end artisan coffee. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> they, they would really, they really found a way to add some zeros onto the coffee tab. Um, I hope it was worth it. It was a, it was an unusual experience, but it was worth it, of course. Cool. So I found this, for me, what, what really opened up my thinking was, one, uh, you know, Exploring other areas, which a lot of your life, especially when you have a family, you are tethered to a certain spot and a certain, you know, relationship with your home and your schedule and your and the people in your life. So if all of a sudden you're untethered and you are letting go of, you know, really the most solid rock in your life, your home, if you can get comfortable with that, then there's some great opportunities because it's invigorating to go and to just stay in a different place, even if it's nearby. Like we make these long-term choices and we, we, for whatever reason, we choose one place or one neighborhood over another. You don't have to eliminate that other neighborhood. You can go and live there for a couple of days and experience it. Absolutely. And I think one thing that you said that's kind of interesting, and I've got this whole thought process behind it, which is um, if you can get comfortable relinquishing control of like your rock, which is your home. And, and what's interesting there is that is happening, right? Like yeah. if I told you five or 10 years ago that you would get into a total stranger's car and they would drive you somewhere and you would tell them where your home is and they'd have your phone number and all that and, and or you'd let your spouse or your girlfriend or your kids, they'd be like, absolutely not, never in a million years. Well, that's called Uber and that's worth about $60 billion and that happens right. globally. And Airbnb, the same thing. I think there's like 200 million like night stays or something like that. So where the generation before us perhaps was like, oh, I would never do that, I blah, blah, blah. People like you and I are doing it 
we're doing it more and more frequently. We're letting out our house and we're staying in other people's homes. And like our generation, your son just came home and like my three daughters, that's what they know, right? Like oh, yeah. a Hilton? What do you mean a Hilton? What's that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I was just I just returned from a safari week in Tokyo. Nice. And the first two nights I stayed in an Airbnb. And then the next three nights I stayed in a hotel. Now, the experiences are completely different. You're never going to replace a hotel experience. And sometimes when you're on vacation, that's a really nice thing to do. But I'll tell you what's also nice to do is to spend, to have two nights for the equivalent of a third of one of the nights. <laughs> right. And then to go out and do all of your shopping with the money that you have left over from not staying in a hotel. So if you get into this headspace of, okay, I'm going to disconnect from you know, what the, how, what the home means to me. And I'm going to also, I'm going to take that headspace when I travel and saying, just because I'm in another city doesn't mean, you know, my prior options were I could stay with friends or relatives, which can be good or can be an imposition, or I could stay in a hotel. But there's this kind of third option where, you know, people who are on board with this kind of transient network and we're all welcome and anybody else's pet. Look, I'm staying at an Airbnb at a little bungalow down in Venice, which is just amazing. It's super comfortable. Uh, it's walking distance to everything that I want. And uh, Charles and I are just having a great time. And by the way, there are no hotels nearby. And the hotels that are nearby are, you know, a, a multiple of the cost. Yep. And, you know, I just really want that neighborhood vibe. We're just like hanging out in this bungalow as if it were our own, even though it's just being loaned to us. Yeah. And I think that's really what I'm loving is that this apartment I rented, I, I walked out the door and I was in the action. I wasn't getting in a elevator. I wasn't walking by the front desk. I had this comfort because I was coming and going as I pleased. I had, I had keys to an apartment, right. which is always a great feeling. <laughs> um, and I had done this years ago when I was in Rome before you know the phenomenon of, of the platform really took hold. And I remember friends were staying in a hotel and we had just decided to rent an apartment. And it was just a different experience. You felt that you were immersed in the community. And if you like that feeling, it's great because you can just discover more of what is there at your fingertips. Totally. So in, in wrapping this thing up, let's talk about two things. One, what's next on your vision for you and Airbnb, are there new ideas or are you thinking about adding or are you just going to keep doing what it is that you're doing? And then I want to make sure, since I've asked you an awful lot of questions, that you have the opportunity, if you have a question for me, to ask. Sure. So there's there's three concepts that I have. Um, the obvious concept is to, I really love this cottage that I stayed in, in Silver Lake. It was about 650 square feet. And to me, a perfectly executed small space is really something to strive for. It's amazing. So I'm kind of in the market for like a very small space um, that I feel would fall, you know, in kind of a, a hipster neighborhood where I would list it, you know, in the lower hundreds per night. So I like the idea of getting something small off the ground where I'm not making a big bet on something and, and hoping that people are going to pay big money for it. Um, that's number one. The second proposal is I have in the back of my house, I have the side of a mountain, 
and I have a beautiful <laughs> spot. And I just had the, I, I found a new company that does prefab homes with a young CEO that they just got some venture funding from some very big names. Uh, and I had him over, we walked the property and then he came back over and, and presented his designs. Um, so I'm considering putting a structure up on the mountain. That'd be call, very cool. Calling it, you know, the sky house. The third option is in my garage right now, which is a playroom. Um, friend of mine who works on a, as a production designer on a film set called me a couple weeks ago and said that they built a beautiful yurt and they had nowhere to go with it. And it was of such nice quality. They didn't want to just throw it out. And would I like it? So I had them deliver the yurt and it's now it's set in up in here. It's in my garage. Oh, so, I have to see it. Yeah. So I'm thinking of possibly putting the yurt <laughs> out totally. of the mountain and just going with that experience. So I think what I'm looking for is I'm looking for something where I can, I want to crack something that from a investment point of view is going to not be something that, that I hope uh, people will come to, but I feel good. What I've learned is that there are certain price points and sizes that will always move. Um, I've learned that, you know, I think it's neighborhood dependent and, and I want to make sure that I have kind of the intersection of the right neighborhood and the right price. And I also kind of like the idea of having something I don't have. Right. So, you know, you know, going to another neighborhood that I'm not that aware of, it gets me on safari. Cool. And I think that's, that's something that I'm thinking about. Well, that sounds great. I definitely need to check out that yurt. And in fact, I think, you know, this is the beautiful thing about Airbnb. You could probably list that yurt in your garage and somebody would stay there at the right price. Right. Right. And just get your kinks worked out. Like what's comfortable, what's uncomfortable, what do I need to add or whatever. But that's just a different concept. Is there anything that's on your mind that um, perhaps you'd like to ask me? Sure. I think the, I think what's always compelling is the portfolio view. Ah. Right. And so... I think when you're doing your own projections, I think you and I are similar in that we've always kind of come up with our own projections for how properties that we've owned would perform. And while it makes sense for us, you know, going down conventional financing routes is a little bit different mm. because you have to take something obvious and make it complicated to explain <laughs> it to someone that doesn't have the uh, the threshold for risk. Right. So my question is, how do you how do you view financing? Uh, conceptually changing over the next couple of years um, as people want to start investing in properties. That's question number one. And question number two is, do you also foresee uh, funds being created where people could invest their own capital in you know, a fund that would go out and purchase properties rather than try to pick them off one at a time? Um. Fantastic questions, and I almost feel like I planted these questions, but I did not, folks. Uh, so the first first question is about financing, and, and the reality of it is it's almost impossible to get financing right now for Airbnb properties if you disclose the fact that you're going to be airbnb them. 
what most people end up doing is either say it's their primary home or it's their vacation home and they may or may not disclose that at the time of the mortgage application that when they're not using it they may or may not airbnb it but that's different than no no, no i'm going to airbnb this thing some portion of 365 days maybe 300 out of the 365 days or 330 you can't get financing for that that's called a commercial loan and commercial loans really like to have long-term leases because they then they can analyze the cash flows right you sign a 12-month lease and you pay me two thousand dollars a month i exactly know you know what the coverage ratio is but you're going to list this thing on airbnb and demand and supply changes and pricing is dynamic and it changes every single night like i can't model that and i don't like the risk and therefore i reject your loan so what's happening is um, i'm actually working with a private equity uh, investor to raise a fund to embrace this risk because we love the risk. We understand the cash flow. And in fact, it's such a superior investment versus long term um, that we'll underwrite that. And what ends up happening, it's kind of comical. The people that don't like the risk, say the traditional banks and mortgage uh, shops, they're the ones that have the most of the risk and they're just being lied to. Correct. So inadvertently, they have exactly what they don't want and they're not being priced appropriately. Whereas what we're going to do is hopefully in the next, call it 12 months or so, raise commercial money that likes this risk. We're going to price it properly, just like auto insurance. If you've had no uh, accidents and you've never had a claim, you know, and you're a safe driver and you're 65 years old and whatever, female, you're going to pay a different rate than a 21-year-old, you know, person who's never driven before. It's the same sort of thing. It's going to be priced higher than something that could be resold into um, Fannie and Freddie Mac and so on. But you're going to be able to get the financing without lying, without stretching the truth. Right. And from our perspective, it's an asset-based loan. We like the asset. We like the fact that there's community ratings, right? So like we will be able to loan to people that have super host status, right? That's an advantage versus somebody who's like never done it. And that doesn't exist. When you walk into a bank right now, you have a credit score. Okay, well, that's important, but that doesn't tell me how you're going to do with like being a homeowner. Do you know what to do in case of a plumbing leak and a this and a that? In the case of Airbnb, we just take a look at how many places you've had, how long you've had them, what the average review is. And so like we can quickly assess. And so like that's a really cool opportunity for us. Um, and the second thing is, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about and I've started to dip my toe in is exactly what you're saying, which is right now one of the obstacles to scale is that it's very time consuming to identify one deal, buy one deal, and then you can only like rent out that one home. But I envision a, f a future and we're working with other uh, private equity funds too, to create a commingled fund that sees the opportunity in Airbnb. And it might be something like a whole neighborhood that we gather multiple properties in, or it might be a multifamily building. And instead of doing long-term rentals on the 10 units, they're all airbnb -able. But there's going to be a lot of innovation in and around the financing and the investment opportunities in Airbnb. And that's sort of like the second generation opportunity. Great. So I'll let you know. I know one thing. Tell me. I'm going to bet on you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm betting on you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all right, Josh, I really appreciate your time, your energy, your views. I think in closing for anyone listening to this, if you haven't gotten started because you think the uh, time commitment or you don't know how to do it, co-hosting is a great solution. And for those of you who want to get more experience and grow faster, but you can't afford to buy another property or can't even buy your first property, co-hosting is a great place to get started. And 
That's all I got. Anything else, brother? Get your feet wet. That's it. Get started, right? Get started. All right, my friend. Thank you so very much for your time and energy. You got it. Be good. So that does it for another episode of the STRU podcast. As always, all links mentioned are in the show notes below. And if you found this show helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. If you're serious about short-term rental investing, be sure to check out str.university. Till next time.